Wanessa. Wanessa is conversation. It's authentically building community and connections. Grab a cup and let's chat. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Tea Time in Wanessa. We're really excited today to be joined by a special guest, Hakima Cummings, on mm-hmm. our women's series. My name is Enfal. I'm Abrar. And I'm Rizan. So my name is Hakima Cummings, and I am a modest fashion stylist. Um, that's what I do on Instagram. That's what I do at events. Um, but more than that, I'm a Muslim. I'm from Chicago. I'm a mother. Um, and um, yeah, so <laughs> that's, really, that's it. Mashallah, just like a monkey. That's a lot. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm from Chicago. And um, I feel like that's really where it starts off for me, of course. But before that, my parents came here um, from Belize. So I was the first of, now there's 10 of us, um, kids. Oh, that, yeah, that um, I was the first like American born. So are you the oldest? No, they had three in Belize before oh. they had me. Oh. So alhamdulillah, I have some older siblings. Um, so yeah, coming from Chicago, um, a lot of different experiences. Um, seeing as Chicago's a metropolitan area, I was born in the city of Chicago. Um, and just kind of school experiences as you go to elementary school, go to high school. And I kind of went all around the city, um, starting from the south side, then going to the north side, then eventually the suburbs. So you kind of have different different populations that you're you know, getting familiar with, different experiences that are forming. Um, and then um, now my, my family kind of lives in, um, in the suburbs. And I studied, you know, at University of Chicago. I got my master's degree. I'm a biologist at heart. That was my first love. Oh. <laughs> um, it still is because I teach um, college biology now. Mashallah. But um, after, after kind of going on the road towards medical school, which was my, the epitome of my dreams for most of my life, um, I kind of swerved that and decided not to after getting in and pursued a more creative path, um, entrepreneurship and things like that, which is what led me to Modest Fashion, which was eight years ago is when I really started doing styling. Like, was um, that scary? Because I feel like when you, I know I've experienced this, when you plan your life going in a specific direction or like you see yourself being in a specific profession, right? And then all of a sudden, but at the same time, you have passions for different things. All of a sudden, you're choosing something different. Like, how is that? How is that decision? Um, I would say it was both relieving and also um, heartbreaking. Yeah. Because the relief, well, I'll talk about the heartbreak first. <laughs> um, like, it was heartbreaking because I had been told, like, I knew that one of my things was that I could not pursue a degree in medicine if that meant that I would have to sacrifice some of the Islamic values that I had taken upon myself to truly hold, like, true in my life. Mm -hmm. And that one of those was that I would not take out hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans, interest-bearing loans. So... Although my passion led me towards a career that would definitely have that burden, I was like, I'm still going to pursue that passion because you never know how things will turn out. Like I know of people who, there's this one story that I would always remember. I would always like tell myself, like there was, there's that one guy, that Muslim guy, his name was Muhammad. And he okay. had the same, <laughs> <laughs> he, 
he had the same kind of, I knew his sister. So his sister would tell me like his story that he um, had the same kind of thing. Like, I'm not going to go to medical school unless I, you know, there's another path to paying for it. And literally there was one, there was an, there was a rich, like, um, graduate of that medical school that he applied to. And they would all, he would always choose one male of color that had been accepted to that school to pay his entire tuition. Mm -hmm. Um, and he got that, that spot. And I was like, miracles happen. So I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this as far as the fork in the road, like takes me, you know, it's either I go or I don't. Um, so the heartbreak was that I ended up not being able to, right? Mm -hmm. But it was also a relief because the whole time I'm, you know, I'm taking my MCATs and then I'm taking it again. And then I'm like getting my master's degree to try to beef up my resume and like my, my application and things like that. I'm doing all of these things. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what if I don't go? What if like, I, I literally have to make that choice because that miracle did not happen for me. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so the relief was that like my, I made dua that whole time as well, that, that, you know, our istikhara dua is very powerful yeah. and it, it guides us. It, it like centers us as crazy as school can get you. And as crazy as life can get you, if you're, if you know that it's decision is coming up, whether that's school or marriage or like whatever it is, and you're constantly like referring that decision back to Allah. Like, if it's good for me, give it to me. And if it's not good for me, take it it's away. Path, you, know, yeah. you know, that the relief is like, I feel like, okay, that was not meant for me. And so if I had gotten something that wasn't meant for me and that can't happen anyway, it wouldn't yeah. have been good for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mind. yeah. So I that think that's, that's so incredible because like your worst case scenario for your life was not going to medical school, right? And it's like, sometimes God makes our so-called worst case scenarios come true and they end up taking you to like beautiful new paths. And it just shows like resilience and like the beauty of just like being able to reinvent yourself. Cause so many, like, I feel like some of us um, get stuck on an idea and you're like, if this doesn't happen, I don't know what I'm going to be and who I am. Yeah. It's yeah. It's so Referring the decision back to God. I love that. It's, yeah. If we did that with everything in our lives, we'll be good no matter what. Yeah, That's right. how we're getting through these times right now. It's just remembering like, it's not just about us in our little bubble. Like there's so yeah. much more to life and what you're able to see. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you had that at a young age, you've known that. So how did it basically, now that you're here, like, do you feel at peace with the decisions you did make to get to this point? Um, well, I, I feel content. I do feel content because I feel like I've, I've, um, filled my life with other things that I find to be enriching. Right. And I thought being a doctor would have been like, I'm helping people. I'm like, I'm at the pinnacle of like knowing this thing, this biology subject that I I love so much. I'm like, I've learned so much more. I've now learned about like disease and I'm helping people and I wanted to travel and all of that. Um, I feel like I am content, but there is a part of me that every time I think about that time when I was approaching that, that decision, that it does feel, and I, I, it's like, as if I can't put my, my finger on it, but it can bring me to tears, Mm. you know, because like, I feel like the, the point, the, the, the aspect about it is not that I, I don't, I I don't remember that it's Allah who brought me there. Right. Because that's the, that's the relief. That's the comfort. Yeah. But it was like, 
when I was trying to figure out what are the resources out there for Muslims like me who want to pursue higher education and and um, and we didn't find it, like people like me, we didn't find it. We didn't find help in in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, that's heartbreaking to me still because there's so many people who would have done this, would have done that had there been the resources. But back then there was nothing. So I was approaching individuals like, yeah. you are a prominent doctor in this community. Can you help me? You know, to, to, can I made like a GoFundMe, like, imagine like getting a GoFundMe for medical school. Like it just seems a little too, it seemed at that time, like ten, that was like 10 years ago. It seemed like a little too much, you know, it's yeah. just like me standing on my own platform, trying to get the world to save me. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. like, I think you should be so proud of yourself because so many Muslim women, black women, like we don't know how to advocate for ourselves. And no. I think the fact that you went like put up a GoFundMe and went to talk to people, mm-hmm. I I don't think I would have had like the balls to do that. Yeah. I think that's so incredible and something like we can all learn from because like we're we're taught to just like like you know, just like make yourself small sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, make yeah. yourself small exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt like I was out of my place to have made myself that big of a deal to approach people who otherwise like maybe they're they 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 support bigger things. Like they supported like the school that I went to, they supported the masjid that was in the community, but why would they support me as an individual? Hmm. You know? So it was, Hmm. it was always like a little uncomfortable when I would approach another person and and I'm like, okay, this is going to be the one that's going to really help me. Like they're going to know the resources. Maybe it's not going to be from their pocket, but they'll know the resources to connect me. Like some people will rally behind me. And when I found that pretty much no one did. um, And in that process, I did feel, I did, and it wasn't a feeling. It was, it was the reality that there was a race factor to that as well. And I felt that if I, if I wasn't who I am, maybe I would have gotten the support. Um, and that feeling is oftentimes not baseless. Yeah, um, sure. We know that time and time again, that in a parallel universe where we didn't have this skin or have this reality about our appearance, maybe some people would advocate for us more and would be like, okay, I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm not just going to just, you know, throw you $50. I'm going to really help you to become that doctor that you want to be. And so like, when you talk about like, whether it's, whether, like how I feel right now, it's a contentment that Allah gave me what I, what I deserved and what I, what I needed and Mm -hmm. took me away from what I didn't. But that part of it where like, you know, the race factor or, you know, the lack of support, lack of resources. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, man, I just wish, because it's so many other people like me, you know, yeah. and how many people were blocked from their opportunities because like, yeah. you're looking for support and you don't get it. So let's kind of talk about not only the black experience in these situations, yeah. but we're black women, right? What mm-hmm. was the demographic that you were living in during that time? Um, mostly Palestinian. So, um, I, I mentioned how I started off, um, my life in inner city Chicago, Mm -hmm. and then we moved to the suburbs. So the Southwest suburbs of Chicago is known to be like little Palestine. It's like predominantly Palestinian. And it was a great experience to kind of be in in another person's culture like that in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, like the, my first experience with racism was in seventh grade when I entered that school. 
Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to understand my my blackness. Like why why are my why am I like this and you guys are like that? Like why are people being treated differently? Why am I asked certain questions that other people are not asked or questioned about certain things that other people are not questioned about? And, and I think a lot of times people want you to like for example, you know, they want you to have some kind of evidence that if like my my statement that if I was if I look differently, maybe I would have gotten the support. They want some kind of evidence for that, right? Yeah. Because there's not another, there's not like a white skin, white, white skinned Hakima parallel to me who also got in school and then she went and then I didn't. So we're yeah. not going to have those parallel experiences to like directly compare to. But when I, when I think back to one um, meeting that I had with one of the most prominent and if I, you know what, if I had the, the courage, I would say the name, but I'm not going to. Um, one of the most Salvin. prominent <laughs> um, organizations in that community, um, they were all about um, like Arab American rights, right? Mm-hmm. That, that was one of the things that they really, um, that, was, that was like their flag that they raised all the time. It was all about Arab American rights. Um, and so I... Not, not having that many figures to even know to approach, that was one of the people who I approached because I know that they were all about advocating for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when I went there and I explained, me and a, and a friend of mine who was really great at like um, being right there by my side, she, every time I was like looking for a new resource, she was right there with me. So she made that connection and she set up that meeting for me to go and just talk to them about my situation. And um, so after explaining that, you know, my decision is I will go if I get the funding outside of interest or I will just not go. Like I will give up my seat. And they were shocked to know that I would have that stance. Yeah. And they were like, so what do you, what do you think about us? Like, you know, the building that we sit in right now, like we're, there's a mortgage on this, you know, like we're paying interest to the bank for this building. What about X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, well, you know, that's your decision that you've made. And this is a decision that I made. Yeah. And then they said that, well, I'm, they, to my face said that I'm not as smart as I thought I am. Like she said, well, you're not as smart as you think you are. After oh, I've said, you know, I went to University okay. of Chicago. I have a master's degree. I got into the University of Illinois, mm-hmm. Chicago, um, Champaign-Urbana Medical School. Like, like I'm saying that I am deserving, right? And then yeah. she told me that I'm not deserving. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And then furthermore, what face. she said, to my face, yeah. As I, yeah. as I sat there on this lone platform, vulnerable, that's what she said to me. These are the types of things that make me emotional. <laughs> and I smile through like trying not to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she furthermore said that, um, you know, that, that my story sounds like those people. And I know what people she talked that she was referring to those people who, you know, they crowd up 10 kids in a, in an apartment and they refuse to buy a house. They refuse to buy a house because of this interest thing. But you know, what are, what kind of life are they providing for their kids? You know, they have all these kids in a two bedroom apartment. My family has never owned a house and we have that amount of kids, you know, and yeah. my brothers and sisters always piled up in a bedroom and we loved it together Yeah, yeah. So build our family unit. But for her, what she saw was like just another black case acting asking for help that was not warranted because you should be able to pull, pull yourself up, buy your house, get your loans and get your life together. Why should you ask me for help? And I sat there and, you know, a lot of times when things happen to you in the moment, you don't know like what the heck mm-hmm. to do. You're just yeah. done. And you almost yeah. don't even know how to understand it until later yeah. on. So yeah. I took the time to then 
understand it. Like I went to my house, I talked to my mom and I was like, she said these things. And then, and I'm like, but you and Baba, like you guys both, like, this is the, like, we all, we never had more than a three bedroom apartment, you know? And like, why does she have to question? I didn't question her. Why is she questioning me like that? Yeah. So my mother and my sister, like they are troopers, right? So they, they pulled up their abayas and they like, you know, they wrap their hijabs. They're like, we're going to go down there. And we I are going to tell energy. them. I love it. Right? And so I called first. I was like, okay, okay. We're not going to just rush up on her. I'm going to call her first and see what she says. Like, these are the things that I didn't like about the meeting. So like, what's your response to that? And she said, mm-hmm. if you're calling about an apology, I'm not going to give you one. This this is this is what happened. So then, <laughs> oh, is this so-called in an organization that's supposed to help people, or at least like yeah, she doesn't what? know how to be courteous and cordial? That's the that's, thing. Like, and you know her demographic of people that she helped. Yeah, mostly because of the demographic of the area, and the like the umbrella that they. I mean, it was an Arab American organization. Yeah. yeah, that was the that those were the bulk of the people that she helped. So it was, it was easy for her to then help those cases. But when a different kind of case comes, it's like, why would I help you? Let me yeah. question you about why, why you want to do this. Let me tell you about yourself and your people. Honestly, so um, my, yeah. sister is, oh my, my sister and my mom and I went back. She dug her heels in and did not offer an apology, nor did she back down at all. And at that point, I realized that incident was like the pinnacle of like me understanding, okay, I'm not just someone asking for help. I'm a black person asking for help. Mm-hmm. And so why would, why, why do I feel like in this community, I can find that help? Even though this is a community I've been in since seventh grade, you know, like, yeah. like I excelled at their school. I was a valedictorian at their school, you know? Um, and she said, you're not as smart as I thought you were. Oh, really? No, oh, you're really? not as smart yeah. as you think you are. As you think, as you, you, are. think you are. Yeah. And that, like, that statement has haunted me. Like, it's it's horrible and right? i feel like we live in a society whether we are muslims and blacks and or whatever where we all set boundaries for ourselves as individuals right what i what i do is different from you do whether it be in like an islamic context or another context right let's say i take loans you don't take loans i do this you don't do that that's yeah. fine it's whatever you have decided is okay for you is between you and god but for right. you to then come and question yeah. someone else and try to like like berate them and degrade them because of a decision that they have made is completely unacceptable. Well, it's actually the right decision by a lot yeah. of standards. Like exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. honestly, had it been like like a Palestinian or a Pakistani woman that that walked into her office, she would have been like, "Wow, mashallah, you're so religious. You're so close to the dean." Like she, mm-hmm. I feel like she would have. I mean, we we don't know what she actually would have done, but I feel like she would have thought of it differently. Whereas yeah. you, as a black woman, it's like, "Oh, you think you're better than me?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. And that's, that's what the I question. That's what the question when she said about the building. What about the building that you sit in right now? Like basically, like her paycheck or like whatever funding she gets for her organization goes towards some interest too yeah. to pay yeah. for the lights and the whatever, like the building that she's in. So it's kind of like, like how about you get in your place? Like you, you be in your place to think that to for you to think that you're better than me to be more religious than me or like whatever she interpreted about my decision. Yeah. It was like no, no, no. Like I have to put you back in your place. You know. Um, it's taken us growing up to really realize our, our 
our blackness in the context of America, right? But you see that when even though we put Islam as one of our highest identities, we don't see that unity across the board. We don't see other Muslims understand, like seeing our Islam even, you know? And that Mm -hmm. to me is super frustrating because we're always backing them. We're always like uplifting them and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether it comes to domestic um, or issues abroad, we're always trying to to fight for their freedoms. But it's even like within the communities, they've created their own type types of systematic racism and it's really like at this point i think i love what you're what you're doing with your platform with um uplifting black voices and being like you know i see you i see what you're doing and Mm -hmm. it's unacceptable because even though like your life has moved on past the medical school phase um and still like that that phase in your life but you're using your voice now for the next person for the next hakima who's like where where are the people in my community you know it comes very natural that if i'm choosing models for um a runway i'm not going to choose only the light-skinned models right like so, like i've seen other other model other designers do or people who are presenting collections would only choose those that fit their typecast you know um and and being able to you know find a network of women online that are also black and have that that's a shared experience due to that it's like it comes natural like it's like you gravitate towards them you know so how has it been cultivating a space within the styling muslim fashion community um well early on like what i what i really valued at the beginning that i made a conscious decision about was that i didn't i wanted to be of service to designers. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be kind of a bridge between people who create clothing, whether that's with their two hands or maybe they're a boutique and they, they choose modest clothing from some like warehouse or wherever, however you source your items. I wanted to be that bridge to bring those items to, um, to the, to the, to the audience, whether that's like an an in-person audience at a fashion show, or that's their marketing materials, or that's like coming to someone's house and like, um, you know, giving giving them like a wardrobe overhaul or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to cultivate a space that was a bridge between the providers and those who wear. So um, I felt like styling would have was that was that was that would fill that space. And I also felt like there's there was a value in longevity and not just thinking, okay, I'm. I'm cute, you know, or like I can take a good selfie or I can take a good outfit picture. I felt like that's just, that was not, that wasn't it, you know, for me. Like yeah. I felt like I need to stand on something a lot more stable. So I really, so that's why I really started um, in college going to the thrift stores because back in the day they did have long sleeve yeah. dresses yeah. and balloon sleeves and like, yeah. you know, different shapes. It wasn't the same for like one body type, you know, like the same. Yeah kind of thing that people kept carrying so I would go to the thrift store and I'd like cut stuff up and you know do a little sewing and I'd create something and I'd wear it to college and people like oh my god where'd you get that from I'm like oh you can never get it from the thrift store (laughs) I know if you have old I'd love to see oh I probably do have old pictures yeah okay Um, we definitely want to see that yeah so yeah that I mean that I feel like that was the I mean the question was 
how did you cultivate a space? I just wanted to do something that I felt like was useful and that no one else was residing in that space. I didn't see any other stylists around and that later on I could still be doing it 10 years later. So what I was saying was that there was a boiling point a few years ago when there was an event um, that Modernista um, sponsored and invited certain influencers and bloggers to be a part of it. Um, and they all looked the same. Mm-hmm. Or there was one sister that was there who's racially ambiguous and I don't think anybody knew that she was actually black until she said it in that moment to say I was the only black oh. person. That's when I realized she was actually black because she's racially ambiguous. I couldn't tell, you know? I know who you're talking about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really couldn't tell and it really didn't matter to me until that moment when she was like, I was the only one. And then I was like, okay, so so that's what we really do. And other people had noticed that a long time ago, but again, I was just like tunnel vision trying to like establish my stuff and like do what I do. And, um, and that's when I really started to look left and right. And I'm like, okay, like we need, we really need to be a lot more vocal. Like this was good that we were vocal about this because it like somebody wrote like a letter that went viral and all that stuff. And it was like, um, we had really taken that brand to task. And so even in my small you know, corner of the internet that I have, and I'm creating my little content that people see, I try to make um, a difference. And when I do feel like there is a resistance to that, and I can attribute it to my race, then I do call it out, because it's my responsibility. Um, There was this one person who approached me and asked me to do um, a photo shoot for her. So I booked a model, and that model happens to be extremely dark skinned and extremely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was perfect for the shoot. She wore these citrus colors and it was beautiful. And, and that, that, that brand got the photos back. She never asked what the model was gonna look like. She never asked me for a specific model, which I don't generally ask people what kind of model they want. Um, I just choose a model that fits the clothing. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a certain look. Um, and so when I, I sent her back the photos, she said, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, it, it was a two part thing, right? It was like, do the photo shoot. And then I want you to do something else, right? I'll just say something else. And she was like, I'm going to cancel the something else. And, you know, um, I don't think that the photos went that well. And I was like, let me, let me dig a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the heck you're talking yeah. about? Because I, I looking at your feed, you only have white skinned Arabs on your, your timeline. So here I was blessing you with a dark skin model and you rejected that. So I'm going to ask you more. I was like, so what's wrong with the photos? And she said, oh, I don't think the styling was good. And I was like, you approached me as a stylist. You saw my body of work and you don't like the styling when the styling is flawless. Like, don't try to no. like this. It's yeah. not about the styling. Yeah. I was like, and then she said, then she said, well, I, after, after I said that, she said, well, you know, I posted one of the photos and it didn't do so well. And it didn't do so well. Like it didn't have a thousand likes like the other pictures. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I told her that the reason why is most likely because you've built an audience that's used to looking at a certain type of woman in your garment. Mm-hmm. So when you gave them something different and they already have biases that say that that does not look beautiful to them, then they're just like, mm, why did they choose a dark skinned person for the, for the photos now? And I'm like, instead of saying, Can't, I'm gonna cancel part two of our collab, and I won't use the pictures anymore. Why don't you use the pictures as a way to diversify your brand? Because it's important. It's important mm-hmm. for every brand to be diverse. Yeah. And she never responded to that. 
How dare you approach a black woman and not think that a black woman That's was gonna, gonna implement do. herself yeah. into your content? Like, of course I was going to do that. Yeah. Like, why else, why wouldn't I? And it wasn't even that I'm gonna insult you with this, like I'm gonna throw these black pictures at you. It was like, no, I'm going to uplift Up your lift. brand by giving yeah. you something more than you than you have ever thought of, you know? She thought um, you were gonna stay inside the box. Yeah. And do what yeah. everybody else does mm-hmm. and all of yeah. that. And yeah. And it, like and it's, it's not just getting, about the likes only. Right. Right. She was like, if it's not getting the views or the, the likes, then, and I'm like, it's not. And I told her in that email, I was like, I was like, we're too wrapped up in social media about how many followers you have and how much likes you have. Like, I've never been a viral sensation online. I've never been like the one who everyone wants, you know, is flocking to, but yeah. I didn't place value on that over the other thing. Like I valued diversity. I valued like being able to still be here and not like feel like my content is fluffy, you know, like I, I valued those things. And so even if it doesn't bring like, you know, a million people to my page, I'm still happy with it, you know? And it's authentic engagement overall, right? Like Mm -hmm. you, you're not just building to to get money and to get views you're building authentic engagement community understanding diversity and those are not things that these brands really look like look for I think like, like people all like tend to forget the black buying power right and if you really like diversify how you advertise in an and appeal to a different demographic you're not gonna fail and it'll yeah. actually like it'll it'll build growth and it'll also like create room in the table for other people. But if you Mm -hmm. continue to just like pigeonhole yourself and have this like specific mentality that just breeds race, like, like implicit racism and breeds like all of these negative ideas, then you're not, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing the community a disservice. Yeah. And if you've, if you've been one note this whole time, then it's going to screw you over now because people are unfollowing, people Mm -hmm. are holding you accountable. And now's the moment when you realize that you didn't make good decisions in your business practices this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, think about your character when it comes to injustice time and time again, like you've seen, you've seen that you need to step up. You need to talk for people who are facing um, inequality in your community, right? And so the fact that you're quiet is just, it's completely unacceptable. And people yeah. aren't going to listen to you. They don't care about the flower that you saw in your garden or the coffee <laughs> that you had that morning. Like, you can't continue as if life is normal when people feel like they are they are being attacked. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so recently there was... Um, so I made, I made a post in my, in my, my story that, so, um, my feed post. So one of the people who like responded to me, like I've, I've had a lot of like more so DM conversations with like individual people, which I love to do that. Like not all of the best conversations are like in your public comments. Like sometimes it's in the DMS and the voice voice notes. So I was talking with one sister who was like resonating with what I talked about. And I was like, you know what? Like, this whole speaking to a, a theme and I, in that post I talked about your blush nude pink kind of like you have to be perfect kind of thing. It's like people are able to break out of that and they've shown recently that they have been able to break out of that mm-hmm. and, and console tragedy and, and be empathetic, but it all, but in that empathy, and I don't want to question sincerity of them in that moment, but 
when you contrast it to when it doesn't fit the theme, like literally the color palette, mm. then you know that it, then you, then maybe you can question the, the sincerity, you know, because when that, there was a recent tragedy that happened with one of the, one of the bloggers that have been around for the longest time. Right. And I felt that so deeply because like, even me and my sister, like we talked on the phone, my sister cried because she had a, a recent tragedy, just like that girls, like she, well, I don't know if I'm going to be too super specific, yeah. but anyways, in 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 solidarity with that tragedy from that blogger everyone shared a pink um box but when, when you're building a certain color palette a certain mood and a certain whatever sharing a pink box goes with that so you can you can be like consoling to the tragedy and be empathetic and all of that but it also fits your general theme now some of those same people have not shared the black face of george floyd on their feed, not even on their story, right? They haven't shared the words Black Lives Matter. They haven't shared some of these like things that have been shared millions of times over everyone's feeds. Yeah. Um, and 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 it because it doesn't fit their theme. Like it doesn't fit their theme. And what they've what they've prioritized is that over anything else. And what I said in the post was also that, yeah, you might be making your dua and you might be doing those things. And those are more powerful than sharing something on your feed. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are more powerful because that could actually make change. Yeah. But we are holding people accountable because when you're an influencer, you want you you want that reciprocal engagement. Like you're giving people content and you want people to kind of give you back too, right? Yeah. So those people who are giving you back, they're your supporters. They're the ones who got you here anyway, right? Yeah. So what if 10%, 20% of those people were black people? You know, so you show solidarity when it's a pink box, but when it's like any of those other things like there's so many things you could be sharing like you could even make your little pink box with the words black lives matter or like with yeah. a quote i can't breathe or like you could do something yeah, yeah. when you choose to share your next brunch or like you standing under a rainbow and you completely ignore the whole thing or you throw a bone late in the game yeah it's like we we see that we read that and we, we don't appreciate that you know i think holding them accountable is the important part it's for us not to forget that piece when things slow down or quiet down and people want to go back to normal life because that's what's going to happen eventually yeah. we need to remember this and document it and yeah. hold them accountable yeah i was talking to a friend and i was like if you're in may 2020 and you're still at the that really sucks phase of the black lives matter movement when you see a black tragedy and you're like dang that really sucks you know this country's really effed up and you move on you're not doing it if your heart didn't drop if you didn't feel sick if you don't feel obligated to post to talk about it to connect with people you didn't feel it and that's not where you should be right now you need to check yourself to be like mm-hmm. why is this not resonating with me why yeah. do i not feel like i'm emotionally invested in this situation and then take action so right you identified that now now talk about it admit that you don't know enough admit that you need to you know you need to understand this better ask the questions but don't sit in your little high chair and think that Mm -hmm. this issue is not related to what you do because it's related to everything and everybody yeah and like and and what i also mentioned was like as an influencer you know the power of the share button because you want everyone to press share on your outfit Yep. And so the fact that you know that power and you, you like that power brought you to your place that you are right now and you don't use it even, even a share in your stories, like e- even just that is like, it's just, it's just mind blowing. And one, and another, another person 
and it's it's like aggravating sometimes the response because you think you're you're like speaking and you're here being heard and maybe people are listening to you especially now and people are still not listening like they don't hear you this one person responded to my post um maybe out of a guilty conscience that's what i think saying you know like my my brand has not posted anything in a while because we're relaunching um so i just wanted to kind of put that out there and i was just like okay <laughs> what my what my point is is that you know the power of sharing and you didn't do it right it didn't move you to do it because you prioritize your brand your color palette your whatever else above that so when you respond to me and you say I'm prioritizing my relaunch, which means like the next thing I want to share is my own stuff for my own yeah. brand. Yeah. You just proved my point. That's not a defense. It's yeah. not a defense because that person is like the head of one of the one of the more well-known modest fashion brands. So if you had at least pressed a share on mm -hmm. something, yeah. even what in the midst of a relaunch, from you to do that. That's my what, what it take, what, what, I, I just feel like it's selfish. If you're uh -huh. thinking about you in these moments, it's selfish. If you're thinking about and your coin, well, you as the coin when yeah, people are I, dying. But mm. I was I was telling Anfal earlier, like I've I've been in a rage, right? And I, I saw this thing on TikTok, and somebody was like, you know, free Palestine, and it was like it was like during all of this stuff, and they had pictures of like um, people in Palestine who had who had um, it was images of like being knelt on in their necks and obviously really egregious things happening. But mm -hmm. I was like, right now, this moment is not the time. Like yeah. we, we did not forget about Palestine. I promise you, we're trying to free Gaza. We're trying to still be in all of our countries and do all of those things. But yeah. you saying that right now is taking away from the message. You're not understanding yeah. it. This isn't about you and, and talking about black issues is not taking away from any other issue. Yeah, right. Yeah. Something that I've also um, been finding frustrating is when people are like, look at these people out here rioting and causing violence in their community. They're just are, like going against themselves and degrading their own cause and this and that. I'm like, do, do, do you understand what you're saying? Like, it's yeah. one thing to ask, why are they doing this? I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. another to vilify it, like yeah. criticize yeah understanding yeah you have yeah. no idea the oppression that people are under you have no idea the like the 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 constraints the it's literally like like i think why george floyd really resonated with so many of us is because a knee on your neck is what a lot of us have felt a lot of our our, our life right like you literally feel choked. Yeah. Like you're trying to achieve something and someone's like, nah, 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 it ain't for you. You try mm -hmm. to do something. Someone's like, you know what? It ain't your place to say it. And you do feel mm -hmm. like something is really obstructing like your, your, your speech, Life. your potential, yeah. your, your this, likelihood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's with a physical representation of what black people have had to endure for many yeah. years in America, but this yeah. was literally in your face and you can't not say that everyone had that reaction. And if you didn't, then there is something wrong within you that you need to question. 
Yeah. yeah. And that's what it's bringing up in people. It's bringing up the, the things they don't want to talk about because now it's in your face and it's no one staying home because of it. And we're yeah. going to talk about it. It's been hundreds of years of this. And we, and there's been so many types of movements. There's been like, you know, online activism and there's been Colin like Kaepernick. peaceful Mm-hmm. there's right. been nearly, exactly there's been so many because people try to find different avenues that you have they haven't gone down before to try to have their voices heard mm-hmm. and so if they want to go down this avenue again and protest in this way again as they have in the past then that's just another avenue that they're trying again mm-hmm. because they've tried so many other things and they've failed and this will probably not solve it right like them burning down whatever they're doing it's not going to solve it but it's what what else can you do what else can you do you know like when no one's listening to you how how high can you yell you know i was talking to um yesterday and i was telling her that all of this stuff made me go back to a quote by franz um, fanon when he was talking it's in the context of colonialism but it still really applies to us where he's talking about when when people who have been oppressed take violence and protest in ways that are seen as as like not the ideal it's because like of the despair and and of the inaction that has occurred around their their oppression right it's because like they've reached a point where it's it's like there's nothing else to do it's a way for them to like restore self-respect it's a way for them to like show that we are here and we are continuing to fight for our cause and we're not going to be silent like it might not be the the pretty like way that you want us to like protest quietly and wait for you to give us our time and all of that Mm -hmm. but it's it comes out of desperation and people i think need to understand that you might not agree with it but you need to at least understand and not pass judgment honestly all that i've been seeing from like trevor noah and all like so many other activists on the internet it's like there's no right way to protest because protest in itself is is a form of rebellion like the rhetoric that's used when black people express themselves is very different than the rhetoric used when white people or others Um, and we see it the media the tweets our leader from that man in the white house like i just it's such literally a screen by screen uh yeah. shot of like how he talks about white people yeah. expressing themselves and they're still citizens of this country to the terms yeah. hooligans and um, um people breaking laws criminals calling them those terms that in it that is rooted in something in america that yeah. we never we tiptoe around constantly yeah. So this yeah. is wit's end. And I mean, we don't know what's going to come out of it if anything actually does change, but we just keep going through the same routine of getting to our, this is our limit. We hit it. Then we flatline. And then we hit that next limit. And an upper limit. To it. Exactly. That's what's making me feel helpless at this point, that it's like, what really can change? What can we yeah. do that actually causes change? Yeah. How is it, um, raising black children in this context so none of us here are parents so i'm interested to know like how has that been for you because i feel like that that's different different (laughs) yeah yeah i mean for me my okay so i have two daughters and they're three and four um and i think like right now i'm at the i'm at the junction of like how am i going to educate them so are they going to go to islamic school are they going to go to public school like after COVID, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. go to school. 
Um, so alhamdulillah, actually for this situation, not alhamdulillah for like alhamdulillah for everything, but um, the situation of everyone staying home, because I feel like it's given me pause to deliberate more on this decision of how I will school them. When, because when Amanda is five, we'll have to formally be teaching her something, you know, yeah, yeah. in some way, right? So like I had had so much anxiety about like, how am I going to go about schooling them? Um, because my first experience with racism was in Islamic school, right? And so many Lord. people, <laughs> yeah. and so many people that I know that I've spoken to have said that same statement as well. Like as a minority in an Islamic school, that was my first time being up close and personal with someone calling me the N word, someone like scrutinizing my hair, my skin, where I come from. Like, how come you know this about Islam? Aren't you a convert? All of those things. Right. Mm. So like with me and raising them, like that's where I was at before COVID kind of like had every, now everyone's at home and everyone's kind of like doing homeschooling. And I had been at the point where I'm like, you know what? I think I'm homeschooling them mm -hmm. because I think I am inshallah going to be their best teacher. You know, I'm already their best, you know, example, just from the nature of being a mom, everyone's mom is kind of like their best and first example. Yeah. But even as we proceed through them being like, you know, um, going through adolescence and stuff like that, I still want to be at the forefront and maybe that's overprotective, but I'm going to, I'm just going to be that. Okay. <laughs> because, because I, I can't fathom the thought of them going to a school. Cause I had already said it's not going to be public school inshallah, but Islamic school, you know, was the next, was the next, um, best thing. But when I think about them going to a place where they have known to, they've learned from their home to like love Muslims, to love being, you know, they sing the songs I brought, I bought for Eid. They have like little prayer garments and we pray together, <laughs> like, you know, like they're making their little wudu and stuff like that. They're, they've learned to love Islam, like, you know, and I'm, I'm teaching them about Prophet Muhammad. It's funny, the funniest thing, because like I taught that taught them that Prophet Muhammad um, was an orphan and that word they don't at three and four they don't get it right yeah. so they actually play orphan around the house like like i'm an orphan no you're an orphan like <laughs> oh my god they're using that word <laughs> they're just using that word not knowing okay being an orphan is tragic okay <laughs> but but like they they want to be anything that's cool like prophet muhammad right yeah. so for them to then go to a school that where they're surrounded by other people who are saying salam alaikum and alhamdulillah and all those things that they identify as like great and right and then also to feel the the first pang of heartbreak that i'm treated differently by those people that are supposed to be the best yeah it's mm -hmm. like i i want to protect so, them from that like and i was on a it was amana she was four so was, well she's still four but this was last year when she maybe had just turned four um and she was on her tricycle ride her first tricycle ride literally the first time she's ever been on the tricycle and I have the, my babies are 15 months apart. So the other one, like I couldn't have one on a tricycle all like, like wobbly and stuff. And then once like, like kind of wobbly walking too, like I had to have one on my back. <laughs> so the, the, the younger one, Aya, she was strapped to my back with like one of those cloths, those long cloths that like African ladies like strap their back, babies to the back. So I had her and I'm like, okay, we're going to go on this tricycle ride. Like I'm being like super mom, you know? <laughs> and we already had a problem with like a, a neighbor across from us and um, he had called the cops on my husband. Like it was a whole thing. Oh Lord. And I was like, Oh gosh, he's out with his dog. Like the love of his life is this dog. Um, and he's on the sidewalk that I'm proceeding towards. 
And he saw me because the sidewalk is not too long. He saw me come out and I'm proceeding down that sidewalk. And instead of him kind of like going about his business, he stood at the end of the sidewalk and he stood there with his dog. He just stood there. And I was like, okay, I'm coming towards him with two babies. Like, is he really going to start something right now? Like, why is he still standing there? Like, is he looking at a plane in the sky? Like what is happening? Yeah. And I'm just looking down at them and I'm like, inshallah, you know, everything's going to be okay. And I get close enough to him and the man has not stopped. He has not moved on. He's still standing there. He's looking straight at me. And I'm like, are you going to let us pass? Excuse me. And he's like, when you see me on a sidewalk, you should go to another one. Who are you? Didn't you? He said, didn't you see me on this sidewalk? You should go to another one. You had, I was stunned. You guys, I was stunned that he waited for me at the end of that sidewalk to make the statement. And he had plenty of time to evaluate. Am I going to be, you know, an a-hole in this moment while there's a child on someone's back and another one on a tricycle? So when he said that, I was like, excuse like all I said was excuse me and he called me stupid and then he walked around then he walked around and he walked so close to my baby's ankle on her little tricycle with that dog I was I couldn't like I was I'm like shaking how do you not just like lash out like I would have I she has her, her. her babies with her Lord, I have my baby so yeah, like no, 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 we're, we're talking about being a mother in this time I would like, I would go home give the babies to my husband and say I'm gonna I'll be right, right. Back. I'm right back. you stay right here I'm coming back let me drop these babies off <laughs> oh my god girl like this he really was, happened a bully and and it's it's very symbolic like when you when we mention like it's symbolic to have someone die with a knee on your neck and it's like the symbol of suffocation like we've been feeling like suffocating like when he said when you like you know i'm on this sidewalk you should go to another one i'm just thinking like can we not occupy the same spaces as you guys Mm -hmm. and still be comfortable and still saying so much more than in that moment yeah like 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 how many times have we felt like we can't be comfortable in the same spaces as white people Mm -hmm. we can't fully be ourselves we always have to code switch we always have to be on on edge we also always have to like be extraordinary in order Mm -hmm. for someone to to respect us you know but nowadays even that isn't enough now you have to explain why you're there like the videos that have surfaced the last couple of weeks where white people were literally stopping you in your tracks like who are you? What are you doing here? Why are mm-hmm. you occupying the same space as me? Like, as if yeah. we owe them an explanation for right. me. It's well, like they're feeding off of each other, thinking that, you know, because this is happening somewhere else in the country. It's feeding that confidence to be outwardly big and be outwardly I, hating people. Yeah, yeah. And, and doing it away in a way that's like, you're not breaking a law just enough, but just enough that you make somebody feel like you are superior to them. Yeah. In the way that you speak to them, in your body language, in your in, mm-hmm. in the slight actions you're taking against them. Yeah. And then it turns into something way bigger. Yeah. One of the one of the things that I got a lot of people asking me was like, you know, I want to be an ally. What should I do? Like mm-hmm. what and I honestly I'm stuck for the law, but I've ignored almost every single one of those messages because it's not as if it doesn't annoy me as much as it perplexes me, you know, because I just, 
I, I don't, firstly, I don't think it's my responsibility as an individual to tell you what to do as an individual. I think that the internet is just a, such a vast place to find so many resources that if you went a step beyond just asking me, you would probably find your answer by yourself. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it perplexes me too, to know what to do. Like, yeah, I don't know half the time what to do. I don't know what to do when it's in my face and there's mm-hmm. a guy blocking me and asking me to go to another or telling me I should go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to do when I see someone die on camera with their ne- knee on their neck. I, yeah. I don't know what to do because I honestly feel like whatever we do do, next month we're going to see another video. Yeah. It's like like they want you to process and help them to process. How can you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so busy. I I need a hug. I need this. I need a hug, but I'm the one who actually needs the hug too. But I need to give you a hug now to make you feel well. And I'm the one who, if I step out the house, I might be facing that that same situation. Like, I don't don't know what to do. And it's imminent. Like, the problem is imminent to me. Mm -hmm. So, like, how about you be like in your comfortable place where you are right now, figure, figure it out, at least for now, like give, at least give me a few days so that maybe I can respond to your message. But in that moment, I can't tell you what to do. So I feel like there, there's so much thing like people online, especially we're in a creative space, like you tell yourself a creator. So then create, like just go ahead and create something. And, and most likely we will appreciate it if you, if you did it well. And there's some people who have never prioritized like we talked about at the beginning of the conversation they've never prioritized diversity in their in their branding they've never done anything any kind of self-reflection on how they present themselves online then that's that's just that's something that's completely in your control right like it's not in our control what cop is going to be called to the next scene of an unarmed black man it's not in our control like we hope that he won't do anything wrong in that situation but there's certain things that our hands have set forth. We've created brands. We've become like, you know, influencers or people on platforms. And that's something that we've created. And so then that's something we can change. Even like tomorrow with your next post, you can change, you know, with your, with your next project, you can be different. If you, if you only took the time to make sure that this was important enough for you to be like, okay, I'm going to get outside of my comfort zone and I'm going to do something that nobody expected. And even if it doesn't get the likes or even if it doesn't get like, you know, people sharing it as much, it's important to me because I'm changing. I'm changing to try to make the world change as well. I think that is the perfect place to end. Girl, you just, oh, you just said it. it. You said it. That was perfect. You literally just said it. Thank you so much for joining Thank us and for having this conversation. I feel it's like been so refreshing, Hakima. Thank you so much for being so open with us and sharing some of these stories that you know I feel much closer to you right now, honestly, and like um and just sharing the story and this vulnerability. So I really appreciate yeah. that. Like it's a hard time yeah. and we need to lean on each other. And honestly, yeah. talking to people who who look like me who are dealing with these same things helps take some of the weight off of my heart. So I really so appreciate much. talking to you. Alhamdulillah. I mean, I just really appreciate you guys for, you know, noticing me and, you know, acknowledging me and reaching out to me and inviting me into your space that you've created because this space that you guys have um, on your podcast is really, really important. And, um, you know, I, I've never had like the sisterhood outside of my own sisters. I've never had the sisterhood of just like black women (laughs) like it's always been a diverse set and that's really important that's really great too but sometimes you just need to talk to people who relate to you on that skin color level you know because that really brings an experience with it 
and like a camaraderie that like other people, it kind of like, it's not there as naturally, you know what I'm saying? So um, I really appreciate you guys. And this was, this was excellent. And it was a perfect time too to talk about things. Well, as they say, you have a friend in me, you have a sister in me. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank Thank you. Thank you.